Romans chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of God for the people of God. Paul's letter to the Roman church uh, is one of the most beloved books in the entire Bible. It's powerful, it's controversial, it's encouraging, it's flooded with theology. Uh, Pastors and theologians alike, churchgoers, have spent so much time here throughout the years digging into the text as much as they can and learning as much as they can from it. It's a piece of scripture that in all reality, really kick-started the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. Uh, When Luther came to understand that he didn't really need the uh, Catholic practices that he once lived by to be made right with God. The whole book, really, but especially Romans 117, played a major role in that discovery for him. Which in turn, a couple hundred years later, leads to us as Methodists. But not just because we're a group of Protestant Christians. If you know anything about Methodist history, you know the Book of Romans plays a major role in our history as well. It was in 1738 that John Wesley was attending a um, Moravian group meeting and heard Luther's preface to the Book of Romans. While Wesley was listening to this, he had an experience in which he described his heart being strangely warmed that night. He later said when writing about this moment, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. We celebrate that day annually within the Methodist movement. Uh, You may have heard it called Aldersgate Day. Um, Aldersgate being the street in London which this meeting took place at. And we can continue throughout history seeing the impact that the book of Romans has had on our faith and big shifts within Christianity when the book of Romans is really taken seriously. Myself included, the book of Romans played a major part in me coming to Christ. So we're going to spend really about 16 weeks here in total. Um, I know it can seem like a lot, um, but we're going to have a few breaks in between. We'll get a a break on the 13th of November, of course. Um, We'll also get a break for Advent and Christmas. And because of that break, we'll also get a break during Lent and Easter, because it's going to end up going that long. Um, I do think it's going to be broken up enough where you won't get too bored with it. And I really hope you don't, because the book of Romans is just such a treasure that we still have today. The way this series is going to be structured is that we'll cover a chapter of this 
book every week. I won't be preaching on the entire chapter, verse by verse, like I would like to. If we did that, we'd be here for a few years, not a few months. Um, I know there's churches that have preached through Romans, and it took them four or five years to get all the way through the book. Um, But what I'll do is I'll take the main point of each chapter, and I'll preach on that that week. Um, So it may be one verse. Some weeks it may be 10 or 20 verses, right? But we'll work through it every week, and I would hope that you would still just read the entire chapter every week. Just kind of put it into your own devotional time as you're working, working uh, with the Lord throughout the week. Um, I think you'll really be spiritually nourished whenever you open, especially the book of Romans. So I want to start by giving you a little bit of background before we really get going this morning. Uh, by, by the time Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he's already taken three missionary journeys around Asia Minor. He's already been planting churches and writing letters to other churches. At this point, he's written Galatians, both Thessalonian letters, and three letters to Corinth, which two of which we have in our Bibles today. But he still hadn't written to Rome. And you'd imagine that the leaders in Rome were probably feeling somewhat overlooked at this point. Wondering why Paul hadn't either come to visit them or even had written them yet. I mean, we got to be serious here. At at this time, this is Rome we're talking about. This is the capital of the world at this time. Everything went through Rome. And Paul still hadn't made his way there yet. And with all this floating around, just to make matters worse, Paul needed to ask them for financial support. Because his plan is to travel to Spain after going to Rome to try and convert even more people and plant even more churches within that area. So he knew that he had to to go ahead and try and make this situation right with them. Right? Because asking for some type of financial support when you feel like they don't like you very much can really be a shaky situation. I mean, have you ever needed to ask somebody for something or ask them to do something when they were upset with you or you knew that they were mad with you? Like, that situation can build up a lot of anxiety in you. So how does he go about this? He needs to somehow repair this relationship before he even meets them for the very first time. And at the same time, figure out a way to ask for their support that didn't come off bad towards him. So Paul, being the brilliant man that he was, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit behind him, decides to write a masterpiece. And I really don't know what else to call it. Some have called it the gospel according to Paul. It's the greatest theological presentation of righteousness and salvation that's ever been produced in church history. We are blessed enough today that God has preserved this letter throughout the, throughout the years so that we still have it in our Bibles. So I'd like you to, to think about a question. Are we ashamed of the gospel in today's culture? To bring up that state of theology survey from a few weeks ago again, it's clear to see that we either don't believe or we don't really care about the things that we should believe as Christians in this country. 
It doesn't seem like we're willing to do the work of the gospel here. Partly because we're somewhat concerned of any way that we may end up offending others by it. And when we have that fear and we are ashamed of what the Bible says for either political reasons or some type of personal feeling, we run into so many of the issues that the church universal has today. People saying that Jesus was a good teacher, but he's not God. Saying the Bible cannot be taken as either authoritative or sufficient because certain things in the Bible don't show a character of love as they proceed it. This is an erosion that has taken place over the decades in the church because we have allowed modern thought to influence our beliefs. I mean, just to be real here, to most of the U.S., the gospel as it is preached in the Bible is nothing but foolishness. An ancient religion that has no place within our modern context and should be rejected. I was actually listening to a a famous podcaster a few weeks ago who during his podcast said that we should just cease every single one of the ancient religions. So Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, all of it. Get rid of all of them and create a new religion that draws from every single one of them to create something new. Which, if you read Revelation, that sounds a little scary because that sounds... Like something that that happens there. Um, But that's that's the type of way that we see the faith at this point. And so, sadly, so much of the church has come to agree in one way or another. But this really isn't new when you look at history. Right? This idea that the gospel is some type of foolishness that we would believe in. Paul was imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, had to be snuck out of Berea, laughed at in Athens, called a fool in Corinth, and was stoned and left for dead in Galatia. But here's the difference between Paul and many of us today. Even some of the major evangelical leaders that we have in the country today where so many of us would just give in and quit with all those things going on, that actually made Paul want to preach the gospel in Rome even more. Like I said earlier, Rome was the capital of the world at this time. Think about the growth just a few conversions could have if they happened in Rome. How far stretching that could end up reaching. When you have just a few converted who, who say, work in the trade industry, something like a modern-day truck driver, they leave Rome and they go to these other countries to trade items. While in those other countries, they talk about their faith in Jesus. That converts more people. Those people go out and talk about their new faith in Jesus. That converts more people. And it spreads like a wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. That's the power that Paul speaks of in our text. The Greek word here, dunamis, is where we get our word dynamite, which is rendered here in our text as power. One commentary puts it this way, the gospel is effective because it carries with it the omnipotence of God. 
So what this means is God's power is completely unlimited just by the nature of it. God will do what he pleases with whom he pleases and get done what he wants done. So through that unlimited power, he can spread the gospel as far as he wants in whatever way he wants. That way all who believe can have salvation in his son. Verse 16 should really set off some conviction in us. How many times have you not shared the gospel because you're afraid of some type of repercussion that may come from it? I know I've fallen in those scenarios. Everybody that I work with needs the gospel. I work in a very small automotive shop. When you include me and the owner of the business, there's only seven employees for the entire shop. Every single one of them, including my youngest brother, needs the gospel. All of them are unbelievers. But I'm terrified that I would end up getting fired if I tried to evangelize every single one of them. And in that, lose the, the ability that I have on my part to support my family, which is terrifying since I have a young child now. And everybody may have a, uh, a hiring sign in the window right now, but I can tell you from just my experience about a year ago, that doesn't mean they're calling everybody that applies. It's very weird the way the situation is working right now. But that's a problem to me that I'm not willing to lose my job to share the gospel with those people. As a guy who stands up here every week and is telling you to share the gospel with everybody and anybody, we all, myself included, need to do better with that. An atheist uh, comedian and magician, Pendulette, was once being interviewed by a religious man. The interviewer is LDS, or Mormon, as most of you would know it. Um, and that's a whole different discussion that we don't have time for today. Okay? But... I will say, if you know a Mormon, share the true gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And if you need some type of help with that, let me know. Um, I have actually written an entire course on evangelizing to Mormons that I've been able to give a couple times. Um, that is one of my missions on this earth, I feel like. So, but anyway... Um, in that conversation, faith did come up. And he talked about his feelings on evangelism. And what Penn said in that interview really convicted me the first time I heard it. And when I was putting it in this manuscript, it convicted me even harder sitting there and reading the words. He said, if you believe that there is a heaven in hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever... And you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would just tackle you. 
And this is more important than that. That is like a stab in the chest every time that I read it. See, if we're ashamed of the gospel or we're scared to to share the gospel with whoever God is leading us to share it with, it's because we don't understand the power that lies within it. If we really believe it has the power that we say it has, not only to save sinners, but also to give victory to believers, we would share it with everybody that we could every single time we could. Without worry of mocking, without worry of hatred or slander, without worry of repercussion of any kind. None of that should be our concern. And if we do get those things, if we do get treated like Paul, then glory to God that we would be able to suffer in any personal, neg- personal negativity in his name. In verse 17, it says, For in it, meaning the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God. This doesn't mean that you're right in general. It doesn't mean it's good in, that you're good enough on your own. It means that you're made right with God. That God sees you the way he sees his own son. It's justification in the sight of a holy God that we're talking about in that moment. See, part of our problem is that we try and make God into our own image sometimes. We try and bring him down to our size. We like to act like our sin isn't as bad as it really is because nobody can be perfect. And God can't hold us accountable for for what we can't help ourselves from doing. If he wanted perfect, he should have made us perfect. You just have to be better than than the other guy in order to be right. And my friends, I want to say that 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 is the foolishness, not the gospel. That, that thought that you just have to be better than the other guy, that your sin is not that bad, that is foolishness. When it's understood properly, we see that God's standard is the only standard that matters at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how many good deeds that you do. My friends, if if we break one of the commandments of God, then we have broken every single one of them. And punishment is what's deserved from that. But you can be, you can be made perfect in his sight, but that's only through Jesus Christ. Job 25.4 asks, how can a man be made right before God? Paul answers that question here, quoting from the Old Testament, the righteous shall live by faith. If we rely on ourselves, we'll always fall short. And we'll always be looking at, looking at more and more we can do to try and come up from that short, shortness. But if we rely on Christ by faith, rely on his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, 
And, and let me be abundantly clear about this. His literal resurrection from the dead. Then we can be seen as righteous before God. Nobody has been saved through their own works. Even before the birth of Christ, it's always been by faith. All the way back in Genesis, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. It's always been that way, and it's always going to be that way until Jesus returns. In the game of football, there's no game without the ball. Players can put on the gear, wear the helmets, walk out in their cleats, but there's no game without the actual football. Nothing really matters in football without the ball, right? When you think about it, that little piece of pigskin controls a whole lot. A touchdown is only measured by where the ball is. A first down is only a first down measured by where the ball is. You're onside or you're offside in relationship to that ball. Whether it's a catch or an incomplete pass depends on your control of the ball. Everything has to do with it. Three points or lack of three points has to do with where the ball went. If you think about it, 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 it's really amazing. You can have all the other stuff right, but if there's no football, you just wasted your entire afternoon. In the Christian faith, it's possible to have a bunch of, this, bunch of the Christian stuff right. You can go to the right church. You can carry the right Bible. You can use all the right Christian talk. You can have all the accessories of a Christian and still not have the main thing. And if you don't have the main thing, if you don't have Jesus... Everything else is a complete waste of time. Just like we can't play football without a ball, we can't be effective as Christians without the gospel and without Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be scared to share the gospel. I know we live in a culture that would like you to be. It would like you to to stay quiet about it to stay out of the controversy, but don't. Its power can, can change everything, not just in your life or the lives of others, but it can change the entire world if it's preached properly. That's our goal. Change the world by the gospel of Jesus Christ as far as we can. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you on this day and all days for your gospel. Your good news to us. That all we need to do is have faith like a child in your son. That through that faith and only that faith, we could be made right and, and holy in your eyes. We know that we could we could never do this on our own. We know that if it were left up to us, every single person in this room would never reach your standard. The simplicity of your gospel is amazing. 
that even the smallest of children can understand it and know it and love it. We thank you for that. Because we all know how stubborn we can all be. Father, I, I ask you that today if there is somebody that does not know you, that they would come to faith in you. I ask that if there is anything I said today that was not from you, that it would be dropped to the ground and it would be forgotten. And everything that was from you and your spirit would be embedded deep within us so that we never forget it. Great is your faithfulness. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.